and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with Jeremy Underground. Jeremy Fishon was still a young man when he became a leading light in the resurgence of Garage House from New York and New Jersey around 2010. Soon after founding his label, My Love is Underground, he was heralded along with the likes of Motor City Drum Ensemble as one of Europe's true connoisseur DJs. But when a dispute over a booking for a gig in Edinburgh turned into a full-blown controversy in September 2017, the Frenchman was on the receiving end of a wave of public anger and mockery. While the incident raised valid questions, it deepened feelings of anxiety and depression he's encountered since childhood. By his own admission, he struggled to deal with the backlash, and 10 months on, he says it continues to affect him. In this exchange, Fichon opens up about the controversy and much more besides, discussing his emotional well-being, the ups and downs of life as a professional DJ, and his move to the French countryside. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Jeremy Underground is up next. Thinking back to the first time I saw you DJ, it yeah. was 2011 in London. At the camp. At the camp, yeah. Yep. It was, am I right in saying the first My Love Is Underground showcase in London? Yeah, ever. Yeah, it was the first My Love Is Underground party ever, basically. The first one ever. Um, it was you, Brother, and uh, Jane Fitz played that night. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, uh, amazing memories. That's not exactly where everything started for the DJ thing for me. I would say the thing started in November 2010 for me in Paris at uh, Nick V's party called the Mona. Uh, yeah, he put us on the lineup, me and uh, Sammy, uh, aka brother. And yeah, that was the revelation. Like, okay, we can play that music in clubs. The club was full. People enjoy it. And it's like, man, everything is possible now. Well, so it wasn't too long after that then that you were sort of playing in London. Yeah, it was uh, less than a year after. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, six months after. Like it was in May 2011, the camp thing. Yeah. And I guess at that point in your, I guess, DJ life, um, did you have any specific ambitions or goals that you wanted to reach? No, really not. I mean, I've been to early house, Chicago house since I was a kid. But honestly, according to the music I was listening to at the clubs at the time, I was like, yeah, nobody cares about the music I'm into, you know, nobody quite plays it anymore, you know. So there was really no ambitious, no ambitions at all. Like it was just like, okay, we got those opportunities. Let's take the best of it. But like, if you told me back then that I would still be DJing as a, you know, as a professional touring DJ eight years after, I would have never believed it. Really. How does it feel to sort of, yeah, sort of fast forward seven years and you're, you know, touring the world, playing gigs every weekend. Well, touring mostly Europe. Let's be, let's be frank. <laughs> I'm spending most of my time in Europe. Man, it's amazing. Like it's, um, 
as I just said, it's something I would have never imagined or, you know, hoped for. It's, uh, it's, it's sick, you know, I've met so much great people on the road, uh, made so much friends. It's a beautiful job. It's a hard job. People sometimes don't figure out, you know, what it is to travel alone, not to sleep, being away from your friends. You know, your social life completely changes. You're not with your friends anymore at weekends or whatever, chilling, whatever. So like there is that little part where sometimes people don't actually realize that it's also a really hard job. But uh, but at the same time, it's amazing, of course. Like you can't complain, basically. <laughs> of course. Your early love for houses is, is fairly well documented. I'd, I'd like to yeah. sort of dive into... I guess another side to your musical personality, which is the soul and, and jazz side. I guess for me and most people that, that first kind of sprung up or came to our attention with um, when you played at the first Your Melody party. Yeah, 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 which is one of my best memories ever. So let's say, you know, Kerry Chandler was, was your sort of gateway into um, yeah, house yeah, music. Yeah, what, and DJ Deep as far as long as DJ goes, yeah. What was your what was your entry point or your gateway into soul then? Well, first of all, a local friend called Nino. Uh, guys, a real first name is Sylvain. Uh, he was into house. We met through the house forums and stuff, but he was also into jazz, soul, funk. And at some point, you know, you discover a lot of house records and you always kind of get back to the same references, same artists, you know, like, yeah, well, you know, let's let's dig a bit deeper. So there was that guy, another guy uh, called Alex, uh, Roger Thornhill, it's his nickname, and mostly like two guys from New York, a legendary unknown DJ called GBX uh, from New York, and another one called Richie, Love on the Run. He co-runs melodies with uh, Sam Floating Points. And so he had this, blo- I mean, he still have the, this blog called Secret Rendezvous, and you could find like mixes from that guy called GBX, um, who used to work at a record shop called Big City Records. And man, like those mixes, they 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 blew me, they blew me away. Like it was like it was like a second. It was just the same feeling as when I discovered like you know the, the my first Carriage records and stuff in the DJ Deep mixes in Radio Nova. It was like wow, this is sick, you know. And that was like around two thousand eight, so about ten years ago. Yeah, man. I mean, that music. Uh, yeah, it's it's sick. You know, it's. Uh, I mean, I love it as much as house. You know, it's it's sometimes it's a bit hard to mix different worlds because you know some house people they don't really care about the rest and mostly the raw groove guys they don't really care about house. It's mostly that way actually. So it's sometimes a bit hard to mix it up. But um, yeah, thankfully those past few years, even if even if my sets they keep having a um, a strong house core, I always sneak in a few seven inches beginning or the end or something like like i love it as much as house basically what commonalities have you observed between house music and soul Uh, what ties them together for you well you know i mean house comes from disco disco comes from you know the soul funk and stuff so it's all like the same basically musical family i guess but uh, you know as far as i'm concerned it's all about the emotions like i don't you know analyze too much like oh yeah this scene these djs they were playing this they were not playing that whatever just like i discover a record and it brings that serotonin shoot in my brain and i listen to it over over and again i'm pretty obsessed like when i discover a new killer record like i can listen to it like 50 times in a row and for a month and you know it's like it's mostly like that i don't really analyze much or trying to be too intellectual about music whatsoever it's just like i discover a killer thing and you know it might be a really simple chicago early chicago record with you know just the drum machine and that drives me as much crazy as a beautiful soul record you know it's just like emotions 
just to sort of pluck out one example, um, the Sonia Spence tune, yeah. Love Flow On. I first yeah. heard that from on YouTube and you uploaded it in yeah, 2008 in 2009. 2009. <laughs> it's um, funny, there, there are millions of views on that video, <laughs> on, that, on that upload, yeah. So, yeah, tell me, how did you, like, personally discover that record? Well, I discovered it through Richie, that guy I just told, uh, told, uh, that, that guy I just told you about, Love on the Run, uh, through, uh, through his blog, and uh, and back then you could uh, find it uh, quite easily. I'm not so sure about that anymore, the original. But uh, yeah, man, I mean that tune is an anthem. It's 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 so amazing. Like now it gets plays on the Radio Nova in Paris. Like maybe radios in the UK. I don't know. But yeah, finally got the the attention it uh, deserved. And that was on your uh, compilation, Beauty. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I'm really happy of actually. And so tell me a bit about the the process behind the scenes of getting a, a soul compilation together. Well, I met Danny from from Psyche Magic at a festival called the Best Festival. Uh, I think it's in the Isle of Wight or something, or the Isle of Man. I can't remember. But we met in 2013, and I was booked to play a house set with my buddy brother. So we banged it out house on the main stage, pretty young people and stuff like doing the house stuff. But I was also booked to. Um, to play another small additional gig uh, for Gideon from uh, Block 9. He had his truck or something. And there I played strictly 45 soul funk, you know, stuff that, you know, I would have maybe not feel uh, felt comfortable to play at the regular festival. And Danny from Psyche Magic was there and he was like, man, who are you? Like, what are those records you're playing? And um, that night we got pretty high, to be honest. And we were like, yeah, let's put out a compilation. So that was 2013 and the compilation came out three years after. So it took like three years uh, for the Claremont guys who were on the, the label to clear the playlist and everything. So it was like a big achievement after three years of trying to clear every tune, because obviously for those tunes from the 70s, it's a, it's a hard work. Yeah, I, I've, I've <laughs> sort of heard various things about, yeah, the, the lengths people have to go to to track someone down, yeah. rights holders, etc. I mean, were there any tunes that you couldn't quite squeeze under the compilation? Cause you yeah, yeah, there was one. Uh, yeah, I mean, a few, like some people died and there's, you know, no one, we, no, nobody knows uh, who owns the rights. So you, you could do it, but at the same time, you want to be honest and you're like, oh, come on, if nobody agreed, you know, we're not going to put it out. And um, there was that little issue with Sonia Spence because apparently a few different people own the rights. So someone else, a guy from Belgium, I think, put it on the compilation. He was like, hey, man, you don't have the rights. I'm like, yeah, man, I think that we both have the rights <laughs> from different sources. So, you know, let's, I mean, I'm glad you're doing your thing and, and I'm doing my thing as well. And, you know, there are actually two more chances. I mean, there are more chances that people discover the tune. So let's take it easy, you know. It's just a good music at the end of the day. But yeah, licensing can be tough and, um, and complicated, yeah. Especially when people die, then you get like, I don't know, the sons, they own the right, but sometimes they fight with the family whatsoever. Like, it can get a bit uh, tricky. I'd like to talk to you a bit about obsession. From the outside, it appears as if, yeah, you, you have an obsessive approach to digging and to DJing. And I was wondering how many hours a week say you spend searching for for music well it's it's the most of my day like i mean um i would say maybe less than before because when you take the djing to a professional level you gotta take care of your company of your invoices like all of that boring stuff that is really not related to music and you know checking the itineraries the flights the whatever so it um, sadly it makes less time for music but um yeah it's most of my day you know i also spend time trying to do sport running or cycling whatsoever but but 
but the rest is all like yeah listening to music exchanging music with uh, close friends i moved away to the countryside now so there's no record shops around by 500 kilometers or something so it's mostly online for me those past years and it's also rediscovering records that uh you know about 10 years ago whatsoever like i get like you know 5k records or something um i sold a lot i want to keep selling and uh, reducing my collection to maybe 2 or 3k max uh but also you know digging again and maybe the change the taste uh, evolved as well you know like maybe that b b side track i didn't like it back then but now i'm, I'm into it but yeah it's it's a non-stop uh, thing you know it's it's passion and it's not even like trying to find the most rare record or the record that nobody else plays it's it's just finding the track that brings emotions to me you know like uh and it can be a really obvious cut from an LP that is quite overlooked because it's not cool enough for the digger scene you know or it could be that super rare thing whatever but at the end it's it's i'm trying to escape from the um, the superficial values like is that record expensive or not whatever no i'm trying to focus on the music and what what does it bring to my brain you know do i feel good when i listen to it <laughs> that's the main point and i i mean is there a point where your obsession becomes problematic to you where it becomes a bad thing instead of a good thing yeah i've been trying to take it easy and um and uh you know try to also consider that you know i got to take care of my body do sport and stuff and not just focus on records because if you're just only about records and the music like it can get quite unhealthy you know it's also good to have other passions like i'm into football i'm into all the healthy stuff i mean quite lately not not not, not since forever but yeah, you know, I'm trying to have this, you know, keep keep touch with these friends who are not interested that I'm a DJ as well. You know, it's it's also a healthy thing, you know, <laughs> to talk about, not to talk about fees or gig or who I'm playing with, you know. I think it's a, it's a really sane thing to do when your professional life is all about that. It's also to escape, you know. <laughs> I guess, yeah, electronic music uh, is a bubble. The yeah. Is a bubble. How, how difficult do you find it at times living in, inside that bubble? It's about like not spending too much reading even your site, which is great, but you know, it talks about a lot of different things and I don't want to get disturbed by who's in, who's hyped at the minute, whatever. I just want to do my thing. I don't want to spend too much time on Facebook anymore. Well, actually I don't take care of my page anymore. It's like, uh, sometimes I write it up, like, but have a team taking care of this because if you're constantly looking for whatever people write as comments, whatever, like it, it takes too much time out of you and you, you spend, it's the time that you don't spend digging in your crates and uh, thinking about your set, whatever. So yeah, trying to stay away from press, uh, like not being involved too much and, you know, thinking too much, oh, that's, this guy is playing that and it works well. Maybe I should do the same, whatever. It's good to be, you know, to keep your distances as well a little bit with all of that world, uh, at least during weekdays when you're at home, because otherwise it can get a bit crazy. I guess, you know, you mentioned Facebook. It would be remiss of me not to ask at this point about yeah. Saunagate. Yeah. I guess most people listening to this will, will know what's happened, but I guess the broad brushstrokes are that, um, a, you know, a party, last year a party promoter in, in uh, Scotland posted some screenshots of email correspondence with your former agent yep. where this agent had threatened to bite them with regards to, uh, I guess, a disagreement over finding the correct hotel for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
equipped with the sauna. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it was not exactly that actually, because the hotel they were offering they had a sauna as well. Like, but it's so. I mean, I'm gonna I'm not gonna get into the details of that story, but you know, it all came down to insults and, but it also all comes down to a part of my responsibility of maybe touring too much and being you know. Um, too careful about little details like hotels whatsoever which are not linked to music at all and that's one thing i'm gonna say which is honest it's like you know when you're touring all, all i mean when you've been constant constantly touring all the time uh yeah i mean i'm not a machine sometimes i've lost the cool i've lost the coolness and the carefree attitude that you have when you start sometimes it's amazing but I'm also quite unstable. Like, you know, the mood varies, it changes a lot during the year, you know, the, between the winter and the, and the summer. And uh, yeah, sometimes I could get moody or care too much about details which are far from the music. And uh, that, that's my part of responsibility in that story. I guess the the ire or the anger was mostly directed towards the agent's comments and people were maybe mocking you. No, because at the end of the day, people know me. They don't know my former agent or they don't, you know, um, they might not have heard from these guys, these promoters. So, you know, one year after, it's only, you know, people don't have the whole story. They just remember, oh, Jeremy, so now whatever, they're making jokes. They keep making jokes, even you know, mostly on your site, actually, which has always been full of... <laughs> people trolling let's be honest um but yeah it was a good lesson learned but also a bit unfair I, I mean i don't know it was like i also realized yeah maybe i should tour less uh enjoy it more uh focus less on those details um but it was tough because you know i'm not a politician or a football player uh i'm a middle-sized dj from the underground and uh trust me 500 kilometers around where i live nobody knows who i am or what i do and when i go shopping on monday morning to the supermarket you know i'm i'm a total stranger so i think you know maybe some people who live in london or berlin or Paris Center and they want to do something in the music, they want to have a career and they spend their days on Array or mix mag reading, whatever. I think they should stay out of the bubble a little and realize that even Jack Master or Black Madonna or whoever is Dixon, they're not on TV. They're not on the mainstream radio. Like you go to the countryside and you ask people around who is a DJ. The only answer I get is David Guetta, you know? So people should maybe stay out a little bit of the the bubble and you know avoid sometimes being jealous of other people's success and everything because at the end of the day we're not like cristiano ronaldo or you know <laughs> zinedine zidane or whatsoever you know we're not like huge heroes with millions of followers whatsoever you know so sometimes you know people should get a bit of context back to what we do i mean not many people find themselves in the middle um in the eye of a um online shitstorm and, and yeah. you did I, i'd like to ask about the personal toll that took on you well i've always been suffering of uh, depression and anxiety back and forth um lots of people talk about these uh, topics these days in the music industry well in my case uh it started way before the music even uh, because i have a personal uh Kind of a tough personal story. My mother suicided when I was 15. My dad uh, died the day of my birthday, five years after. So I didn't have like the the best of, you know, I mean, yeah, it's always been tough. And, uh, you know, then I gave up school. I didn't really know what to do with my life. Then music came and it kind of saved everything. But the anxiety, the lack of self-esteem, the... Um, 
yeah, the troubles of being yourself, whatever. I don't know how to explain that in English properly, but it's always been here, you know, and back and forth, like not all the time. Sometimes I would feel good, sometimes bad. Um, I'm not a bipolar, but, you know, it still goes up and down. And uh, so when that happened, I was like, yeah, well, I was not prepared for this and it's still hard to this day. But yeah, I'm also trying to focus on uh, not reading the internet too much, not checking the comments, not um, not reading Facebook anymore. Uh, I just do Instagram as far as social media goes, which I think is uh, still cool. I don't know for how long, but but yeah, it's been tough. But you know, also you realize you maybe messed up a little, although the, I think in that story, the main responsibility was not mine, but I still had a little one and yeah you focus back on your stuff you try to escape the internet but you know you also feel bad let's be honest i mean apart from um you know avoiding too much contact with the internet what other strategies have you uh, employed to tackle um stress and anxiety and depression well first of all that was well i quit drinking for two whole years uh from 2015 to 2017 i got back into it last summer but i think i will quit again uh, soon. Um, I also stopped smoking for six years, but back into it now, sadly. Psychologists, psychiatrists, sometimes they don't work. Uh, medications, they work, but they work for a limited amount of time because it's basically a drug. It's a psychotrop. So it helps you, of course, but it's also a drug. So when you quit it, you feel bad. Um, sport has been helping a lot. I run uh, three marathons in my life, which is uh, probably the maybe the biggest achievement. The one I'm mostly the, I'm mostly proud of. I mean, finishing the first marathon of Paris was yeah probably the best feeling in my life back in 2013. Uh, try yeah trying to find a good balance between sport, food, you know, good sleep during the week. But uh, it's not always easy with the DJ life, you know. Um, even if you're healthy during the week, then you you know you you break all the cycles at weekends. And yeah, when you don't take drugs whatsoever, I mean, I, I quit taking drugs also three years ago. I was never big into it, but you know, I still lived the, the early DJ life, you know, having fun and stuff. But um, yeah, it's hard to find a balance. Um, because also, yeah, when you lack self-esteem and you, you have big problems of confidence, like sometimes being exposed or recorded, like I was for you guys at Sonar, you know, it's not like the regular gig, you know, it puts an amount of pressure that is sometimes really hard to take. It's a part of the job. At some point, you're trying to be good, you're trying to do your thing, so people want to record you, they want to put you on postcasts, whatever, but for, for an unstable person like me, it can really be hard to deal with. So I'm trying to do my best, but I'm a, I'm not a machine. Sometimes I'm good, sometimes I'm bad. You know, it's like <laughs> you got to be honest. Like I'm not always happy of my DJ sets at all, and uh, sometimes I feel like I really rocked it, and sometimes I feel like oh yeah man, I was not into it tonight. I was too stressed. Like there was that dude looking at me in the crowd, unhappy, and you know, and I couldn't escape. The, Am I doing something wrong? Am I you know? And some people take cocaine to escape that state of mind, but. <sighs> If I was taking cocaine at every kick, I would have been, yeah, dead already for sure. I mean, it's it's a massive thing, I guess, in um, the DJ world. You know, people using alcohol and and yeah. drugs as a yeah, way yeah. to kind of uh, relax in in stressful situations. I guess when you're standing up there in front of loads of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, you say you sort of had gone off alcohol and maybe drinking a bit again now. Um, what sort of difference does it make to your I guess professional life and your personal life when you you are drinking versus when you're not. 
Well, first of all, uh, yeah, I've been drinking for a year now back, but I never got drunk. I never messed up during the set, whatever. But still, the day after, you're really tired. Now, um, I live in a small town in the countryside of the south of France. So when I get back from gigs, which are mostly two flights, because there are no, almost no direct flight from Marseille, <laughs> I have to drive one hour on the highway, so I cannot really afford to be hangover, you know, uh, even alcohol hangover or even worse, drug hangover, because then I would kill myself on the road, you know. I think it's a balance because um, I'm also going to be honest, like being completely sober for two years, sometimes it was not quite fun, you know, so it's about, yeah, maybe you have uh, one or two glasses and then you stop, you know, but of course, if it ends up like drinking the whole bottle of tequila and you miss your flight the day after, then it's not cool, you know. I mean, some clubbers, they love that, you know, they love the rock star DJs. And I completely get it, you know, because most of the people going out there are 20 years old. They want to forget maybe, you know, some parts of their life, like, I don't know, studying or a job that makes them unhappy, whatever. So I completely get it that the rock star DJs are, you know, uh, appreciated. But uh, yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I cannot take it like this. <laughs> I cannot do it. And you mentioned um, that you've moved to live in the in the French countryside. Yeah, tell me, t t paint me a picture of uh, where you're living and uh, what it's like and how that's Well, helping. it's a beautiful area from the south of France. I've always had this love and hate relationship with Paris. Uh, well, first of all, I'm not a real Parisian. I lived in the, I've always lived in the country, uh, not in the countryside, in the suburbs, sorry. Where you have to take the, the train to go to town and stuff and you have to get your driving license when you're 18, which is not the case of Parisians because they have the subway everywhere. You know, it was more quiet than downtown, but also people, I think this town is getting so stressful and so violent and so, I don't know, I, I don't feel the vibe anymore. I mean, the clubbing scene is really, it became really cool with, you know, what everything that Concrete did, uh, the Rex Club and everything. So that part is not a problem. It was not a problem at me at all for me, but it's more like, yeah, getting stuck in a traffic jam and stuff like, uh, in a tra yeah, traffic jam. I'm quite glad when I come back on Monday to, you know, enjoy a garden for a really cheap rental actually compared to what i would get for that price in paris but not everybody's ready for that some people need the, the social life the drinks every night with friends and stuff like uh, i've always been a bit asocial so <laughs> i'm fine with that <laughs> i'd like to swing the conversation um back towards house music now yeah I read in one of your previous interviews that you said house um, is an underappreciated art form. Do you, do you still feel like that's the case? Not really. I think that uh, maybe a few years ago, well, especially as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to talk about house generally, but um, about just my little person. Like when you guys put my house compilation in 2014 as the best compilation of the year, I mean, the, these, these were really good days for me. Like, because I, yeah, I could play all the New York stuff and, you know, and uh, it was pretty new to people. And you know how music goes, it goes by cycles, different hypes, and of course the hype is not there anymore for early 90s house whatsoever, you know, like the, the number of copies we sold on the label back then was pretty insane, but I'm not sure this would ever happen anymore. <laughs> so it goes up and down, but house is alive, of course, it's, it's still there. It's not the, the hippest thing at the minute at all, but uh, I'm not going to give up or try to adapt to what's hip at the minute, you know, that's not me, um, you know, that wouldn't work out at all. So, um, yeah, house is still there. 
I, I still love it even more than soul funk whatsoever. It's it's my first love, you know. It's it's the way I grew up with music was with you know listening to Masters at Work, Kerry Chandler and stuff, you know. And and like you know, for me, it's still you know I opened up the the sonar thing with Danilo with uh, Masters at Work dub, you know, the, of the Braxtons, yeah. Which I mean, the, a version called the Reprise, but it's it's by the Masters at Work and uh, Frankie Feliciano. And, you know, like most of the young people, they don't know it. You know, for me, it's a classic. Uh, I was listening to it on the radio back then, but like, and it, it's, t- it's still magical. You know, it's, it's all about finding timeless music that, you know, that, that, that was amazing when it was released, that, that would still sound amazing 10 years after and 20 years after. Um, that's the way I see my selections. I'm trying to play stuff that I will not regret uh, in 10 years time, you know, for in any style, basically. I heard you play that at uh, Phonox recently, yeah, as well, and um, it got a absolutely huge response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I yeah. guess it's not like '90s house maybe isn't as much a thing as it was around that 2014 yeah. thing, but it's still it's still sort no, of no, going it's still alive. Close. Of course, of course, of course, of course. No, yeah, because it is because it is timeless, basically. So you know. And we, I mentioned Phonox there, you've, you're sort of coming to the end of your sort of month-long residency there. Yeah, how's, yeah, how's yeah. that gone for you? Really good. So, yeah, I must say that, you know, when you play only four dates, it's not quite a real residency, but still like doing that only, you know, four dates every Friday in a row in the same club. And I've never done it before. And uh, Phonox is my favorite place in London and uh, one of my favorite clubs in the world, basically. So uh, I was really happy to be able to do that. At first, I was supposed to do it alone, open to close, six hours alone, uh, the way I did it um, at the previous bookings at Phonox. But then I was like, yeah, why not also book friends for the warm-up, people that are mostly bedroom DJs or people that don't tour much and people that I respect a lot. So uh, I put up this little uh, lineup of uh, warm-up DJs and DJs I would play back-to-back as well at the end of the night. And, uh, you know, it's also cool for someone like me who's not that confident sometimes like to be around with friends, you know, and not just the promoter or, or fans whatsoever. It's also like people you can talk to when you when you play, you know, it's really important uh, for my uh, psychology, you know, sometimes like being around people that, you know, make you feel good uh, instead of sometimes feeling a bit lonely. So yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy. Uh, you know, there was uh, let's see how it how it goes tonight, but it was packed every Friday, so I'm I'm, re- I'm really glad. I guess I, I noticed you were playing digital only, and I know it's a slightly tired question in in some ways, but uh, you know, I guess that's your th- your thing now. You're not bringing records to gigs. Um, no. W- why did you make that choice? So I've been battling for vinyl. I mean, well, you know, I don't make music, so I've I'm a record collector at first. I was never really intending to become a DJ whatsoever. So, so of course, it's always been about uh, records, uh, collecting records. And um, so, of course, when I started uh, getting uh, gigs, I had to play records, obviously, you know, and I didn't even know how to use CDJs whatsoever. But then when you tour more and more and you play bigger gigs, festivals, whatsoever, you realize that actually the vinyl isn't working in most of the places, except for very few clubs and very few festivals. And um, the piece uh, Gabriel wrote for you guys a few months ago was absolutely on point. I've always been wanting to actually write something like that. Uh, Gabriel did it better. <laughs> He's got a better English than mine. Yeah, it's an issue, you know, because vinyl has been so hip those past years, like the revival of vinyl, the revival, you know, the the sales getting better and better. But actually, when you're a professional touring DJ, you realize that you can play records at maybe 20 or 30 percent of the venues. 
Meaning you can still try to play it anywhere, but you will, you'll always get feedback whatsoever, the needle jumping because someone pushed the table whatsoever. And uh, that made me become so stressed about the setups and, and you know, requesting in advance, what do you use for isolation, whatever. At some point it became uncool, you know, to request all of these questions to promoters. And I had a few talks with bigger DJs, close friends of mine. I'm not going to name drop anyone, but they were like, man, why do you keep on just like, playing vinyl only you know you should so i started to make a transition and uh, i was like oh yeah well actually i can also make my own edits and stuff uh, remaster tracks that don't sound good and stuff and so then i made the transition yeah to fully digital um but i do the rips with uh, a lot of care it's not just like i download stuff on beatport no it's like my itunes and record box is i spend a lot of time in it <laughs> Um, most of the files are kind of reboosted, edited, cleaned. You don't hear any any crackles anymore whatsoever. It takes a lot of time. It's convenient. It's it's a necessary evil uh, to do that when uh, when you have a busy touring schedule. But the pleasure is not the same anymore. <laughs> I gotta be honest. I'm doing it because it's convenient, and uh, and I had too much troubles with records in the past. Uh, that would damage a set and you know and people in the crowd they don't know or sometimes they don't even see that you're playing records and if the record is jumping on if you hear feedback they're not gonna say oh poor Jeremy they're like ooh this is bad we want to hear loud music you know so it's a necessary evil but uh, yeah you know this whole debate uh, the sound of vinyl versus the sound of digital I mean, even when you really care about your files digitally and you do it the proper way, I, I would say, I don't know, the blendings are not the same anymore. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to keep on doing it, but I, you know, I remember like the pleasure of doing a, the right blend on, on, on a record was, was higher than the pleasure of blending digital files. So the reason that you prefer vinyl DJing is because of the challenge and also the sound quality is that right yeah kind of but you know it's all it's not all black and white of course i also enjoy looping on the cdj you know well i mostly enjoy the fact that it's going to work everywhere <laughs> and and the stress of you know taking care of everything and uh, has disappeared so it's it's easier but uh, yeah in the future like pretty soon i will probably get back at playing uh, kind of both at places where I know it's gonna work, like proper clubs, like, you know, Phonox, Rex Club, all these venues, you know that vinyl works perfectly, you know, because there's a steady DJ booth and they have a 30 years experience, whatever, as for, for example, for Rex Club, just to, you know, get back at the pleasure of, uh, you know, actually beat matching a proper record. I was speaking to um, Rich from Sound Services here in yeah. London, who I'm, I'm guessing you probably know. Um, yeah, of course. And he mentioned um, you and Floating Points as two of the very few people who, he says, use rotary mixes as an instrument. And I was well, wondering if you could uh, <laughs> tell me what you think he means by well, that. I'm sure there are a lot of more, a lot more DJs that use uh, rotary mixers really well. Like I don't know, Danilo, Huni, all these people, Antal, like you know, in my in my kind of scene, uh, they use it really well. But uh, thanks, Richie. But getting back to the point I just told about, like when you play digital files, it's not so relevant anymore. You know, that's the, I mean for records. Yeah, go for a DJR 400 if you can afford it. Go for Condesa. Go for, go for those crazy mixers. But then when you switch to digital files, you know sometimes now I'm you know playing in the Pioneer and you know back because yeah it's kind of fine you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean these are beautiful pieces. Like when you play records, it's amazing. It's a big investment. Uh, it's a lot of money. 
all of those mixers. But yeah, you can really hear the difference. So I might be for records at least. I might be opening a can of worms here, but why are rotary mixers better to you, especially when you're using records? Well, it's just the sound, you know, I'm not, uh, well, as you know, I, I don't make music, so I'm not that nerdy into components, like I'm not Sam, you know, <laughs> I'm the opposite of Sam, you know, uh, Sam Floating Points, who's crazy about uh, uh, anything technical, but no, but I mean, just just try to blend two records with a Pioneer 900, uh, DGM 900 and with uh, Condesa, and you will hear the difference, trust me, it's not like something that has to be explained on paper, you don't even have to write about it, just listen, you know, it's uh, the, 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 way, the way you feel it, and also, like if you have a basic style of mixing, which is you know mostly the case for house and disco, like just one record after the other, and you don't keep records at the same time for five minutes with lots lots of effects, whatever. The rotary feeling is really good, you know. It's um, it's better than a regular fader. So knobs but, um, are more, more fun than faders, I guess, or more. But also maybe you know these past few years, it was maybe a bit too hip as well. Like everybody getting a rotary, or whatever, and I was like, okay, maybe it's time to step back. <laughs> Do you find? And generally, if something does become very hip or very trendy, you yeah. naturally want to step away from it. Well, I mean, not not all the time, you know. I mean, if if that thing is really into you, you're not going to step out of it because you know it's it's uh, it's too trendy. But uh, yeah, sometimes, yeah. I mean, mostly with vinyl, I felt like maybe it went a bit too much this past year. So you know, big dudes sometimes playing final only sets and branded like this and that's where it went to the point where okay this is too much you know like you know <laughs> like if if you've been playing digital for 10 years and now you just want to play records again because that's hip that's a bit wrong you know but whatever that's not a main issue in my life <laughs> but <laughs> we talked a little bit about how i guess there was like a um a renaissance for you know, very specific, I guess, style of house, you know, a few years ago, the 90s, yeah. New York slash New Jersey house. And maybe that's kind of cooled off a bit. Of mm -hmm. course, it's never going to disappear. But did you, have you found yourself sort of, have your DJ sets perhaps changed a little bit in the past couple of years? Have are, do people want to listen to other stuff as well, like including your crowd? Yeah, I mean, uh, when I started DJing, I really had a mission which was push that, that style, you know, like push that style as much as possible. So you were there at that party at the camp uh, eight years ago, no, seven years ago, when we actually sold uh, the seven inch on MLIU. Yeah, we used to play, yeah, strictly, strictly New York house. And then, yeah, just playing that got me bored as well, you know, so I started playing also the disco, also a bit of the soul funk, also a bit of the Chicago stuff, also a bit, you know, of maybe sometimes techno i play techno now i mean every now and then i would never play two hours of straight techno at all but um yeah it became a bit more fun to play a bit of everything although i would say i'm still uh i still have a quite a small spectrum compared to some of my friends who really go wild on every 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 gender and and it works really well for them but yeah yeah for me it's still very like yeah modern soul disco uh, soulful house Acid house and groovy techno. That's that's my thing as far as uh, the DJ sets go, and then at home, pretty much everything, but uh, including jazz, uh, of course. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's my. F it's it's all like yeah. For me, it's all kind of the same family. I think there's some kind of coherence like around all of those styles. But yeah, that's me. Maybe I know some people don't like it. Like when I play harder. But they also have to realize that I really love that stuff. So, but, you know, you can please anyone, of course. You know, like some people who were seeing me seven years ago, they were strictly coming for the the underground dubs versions. 
or you know and uh, and I was delivering that and maybe now I only play one in my set you know so they're a bit like yeah Jeremy whatever but you know you gotta evolve as well you know if you always play the same stuff you get bored you mentioned before that you know you thought it'd be good to have a, a house music museum somewhere. What would you? Oh, yeah, uh, well, 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 yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, I forgot I said that, but it would make sense. Yeah, <laughs> well, it would have to be in Chicago, of course. And what would you have in there? I don't know records on the wall, like videos of Larry Orr talking, Kerry Chandler talking, and all these people, uh, Louis Vega talking, uh, DJ Deep talking, like even you know like whoever was you know uh, main guy in the European countries and. Uh, this music is still alive, but still, you know, it's 30 years old. And uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's uh, as important as soul music or disco music. So yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. It would be time to, yeah, maybe step the game up. You know, it's not dead. It's still here. Uh, this music is still played and everything. And there are news coming up all the time. But also, I think it's uh, old enough now to consider it as something really historic, historical. But it, it already is, you know, but yeah taking things to the higher level you know well there was that book that japanese book where they mentioned uh, my love is on the ground which was a bit crazy but about like all the best house records of the time but japanese do that you know japanese do those crazy books about soul funk albums with all of that text that you cannot read and you're like wow 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 with like different colors depending on the rarity i got all of these books you know <laughs> and they did one they did one for house and i was like yeah 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 come on yeah why not you know uh, this music is as serious as soul funk is or disco you know it's it's been here forever and and it's known worldwide so yeah what are your favorite music books i would say yeah, it's a tough question. I mean, I read the Electroshock when I was a kid. I mean, when I was a teenager, I have a lot of respect for Laurent Garnier, even though, you know, like, of course, he's been mostly into techno, but uh, I really wish DJ Deep wrote a book <laughs> uh, about all that era that fascinates me, you know, like the, the mid-90s and stuff. Um, but I would say it's not really about uh, Love Saves the Day or whatever. It's mostly those Japanese books where I learned so much about rare albums. So it's not exactly... These are books. These are, it's not a text, but yeah, I mean, the spiritual jazz books and stuff. And you actually uh, score across uh, by, uh, you know, with your pen, uh, by everything you've listened to, you know, through Discogs, YouTube, whatever, the blogs. So I've studied those books quite a lot. You went on your own pilgrimage i guess when you were younger to uh to new jersey to yeah. um i guess see where the important spots for kerry chandler in, in his youth yeah, yeah um and you took footage you took a, a recording yeah i mean yeah well that's uh, being extreme you know it's like yeah i went to the the basement where kerry chandler did his first record which is get it off which came out on atlantic but at first it came out on a private label called express records which is a record i've been looking for for years and at the end, I won it on eBay against Kerry. Well, that's a story already told in a few interviews, but we found out that summer, hey, Kerry, I got your record. And I was like, yeah, me too. Uh, well, I lost it on eBay. I was like, yeah, sorry. But there was also another guy bidding, but like we were three different people. Yeah, that, that travel actually, I mean, after that travel to New York where I could see, you know, meet a few people, see a few places that were important that you know that kind of disappeared sadly yeah it was like okay i gotta do something you know i was a bit lost with my life don't know what to do no studies no nothing okay why not you know starting a label with some of the old unreleased music some of the great music that my friends are producing people like brother inner sense cool vibe 
And uh, yeah, it got noticed uh, pretty quickly. So uh, yeah, it was a good thing to do. <laughs> You've gone from a stage with, with Kerry Chandler yep. where you idolized him um, and then you met him and then you've kind of got to a stage where you're playing back to back with him and you're yeah. quite close with him. Yeah. Um, I guess there's this, you know, the saying like never meet your idols, but it feels like Kerry is probably an exception to that. What was it like, you know, the first time you played back to back with him? Well, it was very stressful. Let's be honest. <laughs> that, that, that's the first thing I would say. Kerry is the nicest guy around and everybody knows that. But uh, it was a boiler room. So, you know, then again, what I said earlier, all the cameras, all the, you know, you're not exactly, you don't exactly come on stage happy and smiling. You're like, damn it, everybody looks at me, you know, and and sometimes it's hard. But um, no, but Kerry is the, the nicest guy around. Like it's, it's always been a pleasure, like talking to him and, you know, sharing personal stories back and forth. And, and now we're doing those shows together. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I love it, you know. But uh, I, I generally really enjoy back-to-backs because the ones I've done with Danilo, the ones I've done with uh, Gerd Jonsson two years ago, we played a few times together. Like, um, it's kind of cool to be able to relax every five minutes <laughs> and look at what the other is doing uh, instead of being focused on your set all the time. And uh, of course, you get to do it with the right person. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't work. Sometimes it works crazy. You know, it's a bit random, of course, uh, unless you prepare it all, which, which is not fun as well. So uh, you, how much preparation did you put in for that? Um, back to back with Kerry for example how much did you think well I'm always like hey Kerry what do we do like how do we start and he's like hey whatever whatever you want like you know it's so nice that so uh, so yeah it's a bit random It's it comes on the moment like oh yeah he plays this I'm gonna play that and you know that that's the way it works just lately with Danilo we thought that you know we, we came on after Ben Clark so we thought like maybe we should start with House you know, for a little while and then go somewhere else. But uh, that's why yeah, I started with house. We started yeah, maybe five house tracks in a row. And I think, yeah, that was probably the best thing to do. And so we, we kind of prepared that. But um, but yeah, it's not also fun to prepare it all, you know. You mentioned playing with Danilo. You know, I guess you played with him a few times before, Robert Johnson, various other spots. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But most recently at Sonar, yeah. full disclosure, it was the RA stage. What's your, I guess, DJing relationship like with him? And are you are you guys competitive when it comes to finding tunes? No, I mean, no, 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 no. You don't have, it's not a game. It's not a battle, you know? Uh, sometimes I read up comments like, oh yeah, he played better than you, whatever. Like as, as if people think that it's a football game between two teams, you know? No, well, you know, he's bigger than me. So if this is happening, it's because he wanted it, you know, not the other way around. Like, that. but people don't realize that, you know? Uh, no, it's not, no, it's not about competition. Like we have, um, we kind of started playing back to back quite randomly. Like, um, I was playing at the weather festival and he started playing with me and you know, it went really well and it's good memories. And then, uh, yeah, that was like three years ago. And then the dimensions thing, it was also random. Like, uh, I just came on stage telling him how good his set was because I was just dancing in the crowd and he told me, Hey man, come on, play with me, you know, but it was not planned at all. <laughs> so then we had all of these requests to play together. No, but Danilo, I met him really late. Like I was buying his records when they came out, like all the rock cuts, like fantastic stuff. And I was like, wow, wow, this is great. But we never met on the road. We met on the road like in 2014 only, but I always wanted to meet him because I knew that we had, you know, a lot of, a lot of the same love for the same music, you know, and, um, and uh, yeah, he's a great dude. Like he's the best. I mean, he's my favorite DJ in this touring thing. 
like he's a good friend but also like i really respect him like all the music is done and uh, i think he's yeah he's great he's great and looking ahead you know what would make the rest of 2018 like a good year for you in terms of of life and music balance man keep on uh, you know keep on uh, trying to feel good at gigs uh try to feel at ease uh playing good shows you know it's always about reaching a new audience because you know there's a lot of people who came who used to come to all of my parties but they're getting older they find their girlfriends boyfriends whatever and they stop they stop going out so it, then it, you always have to convince new people you know i mean i've been doing this for professionally for eight years and you know between uh, being 23 and being 31 you know you see a lot of people disappearing from that like they're still into music but they don't go out anymore so you always have to get the new uh, the new generation even though the whole digger thing is really huge with all the great work that Huni Antal is doing I feel like there's still much more people to convince you know like in all of those um, tech house areas like you know trying to convince people to also listen to a bit of vocals maybe try to listen to a bit of soul music as well you know I mean there's always people to convince you know and um and uh, that's always a new challenge, like, you know, making new fans and, uh, uh, but people who are actually really understanding what this is about, you know. Do you see that as your job to convince people? Yeah, of course, of course, of course. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm so sensitive that sometimes I see someone that's not smiling at me or something and I'm like, mm, this is, you know, am I doing something wrong or, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about, yeah, uh, convincing new people about l- trying to listen to good music at home, you know, every person has a different taste but you know i sometimes play festivals where yeah it's a total challenge you know and i think the, the bigger you get like for some of my friends like they really play at those festivals where you would think like nobody cares about them but you know then it's the real challenge you know like playing in a small room with only your friends or only record diggers you know you, well you do it in the beginning but then then it's not so fun anymore then it's all about the challenge of you know trying to find a new audience and trying to you know uh, teach the youngsters about all those great masters at work dubs or all those great early tracks releases or all of those great modern soul records you know it's 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 about that it's about trying to share you know uh, with as much people as possible music's had a massive impact on your life obviously from a very young age yeah does it's that healing power that it had for you as a child and as a young man is it still as strong now yeah, it's strong, but the thing is, like, listening to music at home, sharing music with friends is not the same as touring all the time as a professional DJ. You know, it's like two completely different things. Like, on one side, you're at home, you're chilling, you're listening to music, you welcome friends and stuff. And on the other side, sometimes it can get, like, a bit like, oh, I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted, oh, they put me on that huge stage, I'm, I'm so stressed, so... You know, it's uh, sometimes it's, uh, I mean, you know, it's like stepping to the professional side. Yeah, sometimes it's a bit hard. Like, I mean, it's amazing. It's like lots of people dream about it and uh, and I kind of dream that it's going to last for long for me as well, you know, of course. But yeah, sometimes when you step to the, yeah, proper professional side, yeah, it can be a bit hard to handle. Sometimes maybe, yeah, you lose the cool little and, but then a few days after you get back home and there's that record waiting for you in your box and you're like, oh, this is sick. And I really want to play it on Friday when I come back to the club, you know, so it's always up and down. But yeah, it's all, you know, coming back to the DJ life, it's also about, I mean, we're all different, but like I would never do four gigs in a row anymore. Like I really rarely do three gigs in a row anymore as well because, you know, it damages your ears. 
you're too tired to actually enjoy it when you play, you know. It's 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 more about trying to enjoy when you play, you know. So uh, yeah, the pick up the right shows, pick up the right audience or pick up the right challenge as we said and uh, and then you love your job, you know, but when you overdo it and I see a lot of people overdoing it, I'm like, "Hey guys, do you still really love what you do?" You know, it's it's uh, it's hard. What are the signs of when you see your your peers um overdoing it is it just taking too many gigs or yeah 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 i mean but then again we're all different some people have a much more positive energy than than i do <laughs> life made me moody you know so I'm, I'm not always smiling i mean i think i'm a decent cool guy but some people think the opposite but yeah maybe they saw me on a wrong day but uh some some yeah some people can do all few all-nighters in a row and i'm like well when i do an all-nighter i'm really empty afterwards and and my ears uh, hurt and stuff so you know it's yeah do it the right way and it's a marathon it's not a sprint you know but then i'm gonna i'm not gonna give advices to anyone but maybe yeah to the starting dj you know who's uh, getting some hype after some boiler room whatsoever which was my case uh, three years ago yeah don't overdo it because it's not about you crashing as a burnout same as it happened to me in 2016 no it's about enjoying what you do on the long term so don't overdo gigs because, yeah, it's a tiring one. You mentioned uh, burnout in 2016. Yeah. Would you like to talk about that and what happened there and what you learned from Well, it was not just the music. It was also a few things in my personal life. But, um, but yeah, after a boiler room, back to back with Danilo, you get, you know, you, you're, you get some hype and, and you play more and more and you do those free gigs in a row every weekend. And, and, and it's the winter and you just move to a new place and you're like, yeah, where I am, you know? And, um, and yeah, I completely lost it. Uh, anxiety came back like really strong. I had to cancel a few gigs. I had to go back on medications. Um, I had to, yeah, completely, I mean, I already had uh, quit uh, alcohol, but yeah, yeah, I was like, I became like extremely healthy. Yeah, it's a classic one for DJs and um, that happened to me <laughs> as well. So now I'm trying to be, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm playing only once in the weekend. Yeah, you know, also it's maybe sometimes better to save yourself, you know. But then again, we're all different. There is a special context for me, you know, like where I've been dealing with uh, those uh, anxiety and depression issues for a very long time since I was a teenager. So, um, yeah, I, I probably got to be more careful than, uh, than, uh, than some other people. But uh, yeah. I'm trying to do my job as uh, as best as possible, but uh, that means also turning off gigs sometimes, refusing to do too much. Does the idea of being a, a role model, how does that sit with you? That's hard to deal with. Like people see you on the boiler room and you become their their hero, and but of course they don't know anything about your personal life, what you do, whatever, what are your other interests and... Um, People might be disappointed sometimes, you know, if they knew the whole truth whatsoever. But yeah, for me, it's it's hard to get that step of yeah, trying to look like something on Instagram whatsoever. No, I, you know, yeah, I I can only be me, and like for me, taking a picture is is really hard. Like those press shots, like all those things you have to do as a DJ. Like it's always like, man, I don't want to do that, and uh, you know, I hate it, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I come from the background of just buying records, you know. So then, like, yeah, having your face on a cover of a magazine, whatever, it happened to me twice in French magazines. But, man, I never even opened those magazines or I didn't even keep them. 
I don't want to look at it. I'm feeling a bit anxious at looking at this, you know, because this is not the kind of, exp it's good, you know, for your career, you got to do it. But for me, it's really non-natural. Non <laughs> I wonder if there's, you know, do you experience situations where people think you're older than you are? Because I guess you're, 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 obviously you're still a young man, but you've been around, I guess, on the circuit for, from, for a long time and from a young age. Well, it was mostly the case before, uh, but now there's a lot of younger people in the scene. <laughs> I'm not the youngest at all anymore. Like, I, I don't know, Mulgrab is 24 or something. You get lots of kids coming. No, I was always the youngest at record shops for sure. Like, yeah, I was basically buying records. Yeah, well, the first records when I was 11, but then kind of seriously from the age of 15. So yeah, I was always the youngest at the club, at the record shop whatsoever. Uh, well, I started touring at 23, so it's not that young, but but yeah, I learned a lot when I was young. So yeah, obviously it was a bit strange, like it's cool because uh, I got lots of knowledge about music at an early stage and that defined my taste early, but maybe it was a bit too early as well <laughs> because all the other sides of my life, like school, uh, whatever, social life were always a bit weird. Yeah, for sure. How long do you think you'll keep DJing for? Well, hopefully until uh, forever, you know, uh, hopefully until the point where I can actually choose when I play and everything. As I said, you know, hypes go up and down, like the thing, uh, you know, the 90s house thing is not there anymore, but there is still a spot for me, of course. But um, yeah, I hope it's going to last. And uh, as I said, you know, I, at the end of the day, even if sometimes it's hard to deal with that job, I it also saved my life, let's be honest. And, and, um, and I really enjoy it as well. It's kind of contradictory what I just said, but you know, it's just like depending on the mood of the day, you know, sometimes it's amazing, sometimes it's it's hard to deal with, but yeah, I hope, you know, uh, I'll be able to keep on music I love in clubs for a long time. Man, you know, I, I have no diploma. I don't even have the single lowest diploma in France because I gave up school after my mother suicided. And even actually before that, it was not going well at all. So yeah, I lost all the social aspects. So if tomorrow gigs were stopping, I really don't know what to do, you know? I mean, maybe I could find a job in music because <laughs> I got a few contacts now here and there. But uh, no, it's a beautiful job as long as, you know, I really keep on trying to find my balance about, you know, all these alcohol, cigarettes, sleep, not too much gigs, enough gigs, whatever. As long as I can keep on finding a balance, I want to keep on doing that for a long time, man. Until I'm too tired, for sure. As you Make it right.